Hey G12 family, welcome to our podcast. We are so excited to have you here. We know this message will draw you closer to God's word, his will, and his way wherever you are. Enjoy the message. How many of you guys are excited to be here? Yeah? Are you guys, how many of you guys received at the convention or the conference? Did you guys receive? Man, I was like in the office, in my office on the computer, and like, I have these windows that surround my office. So normally I keep them open, but I had them closed because God was breaking me down. And I was like on my, and underneath my desk, like, God, you know, pouring out my heart to God. I forgive me, God. And, you know, like it was just a, such a beautiful time. It's crazy how like through, you know, the conference, even though it's online, God still ministers to you so much. And I felt like it was such a powerful convention um, I feel like God did something new in my life. He, like, pr- placed fresh anointing. I think that as well for everyone that was able to participate and hear the convention. I know that this is a new time for each one of you guys. Um, there was something that marked, like, the convention that they kept on repeating, that this is the year or the decade of what? Restitution, right? And what does restitution mean? It means that anything that has been taken from you, anything that the enemy has tried to steal from you, today God is giving it back to you. Because that's the word that God gave to our pastors. That's the word for our church. That this is the time where God is giving you back everything that may have been stolen from you. Maybe a talent that you had a dream to sing. Maybe it was a business plan. Maybe it was, you know, a family member that went backward. Maybe it was a disciple. This is the year of restitution. How many believe it? Tell the person next to you, this is the year of restitution. Amen. And my word today... You know, I was praying the whole week, and I was like, God, what do you want me to share with the people? What do you want me to speak about? And God gave me a word, from ordinary to extraordinary. Say it with me. From ordinary to extraordinary. It's funny because sometimes, like, I get words twisted, and I was like, extraordinary. And I was like, that's not how you say it. It's extraordinary. So say to the person next to you, I may be ordinary, But God is going to do something extraordinary through my life. Amen. Say it to the other person on the other side. Say, I may be ordinary, but God is going to do something extraordinary through my life. How many believe that God wants to do something extraordinary through your life? How many believe that God has called you to do something extraordinary? Even though you think, You're ordinary. You might not think that there's something special about you. But God is saying, I want to do something extraordinary through your life. Amen? Amen. And it starts off, first of all, what does extraordinary mean? Anybody? It means out of the ordinary good. Wow. (laughs) The opposite of ordinary. (laughs) Extraordinary means something unusual. God wants to do something unusual through your life. It means something remarkable outstanding. It means amazing, magnificent. It means that God wants to do all these things through your life. He wants to do something extraordinary through your life. And through the Bible, we see how there's men and women that were ordinary people. They had simple lives, but whenever they encountered God or whenever they encountered Jesus, 
God would do something extraordinary through their lives. There's so many stories in the Bible, David and Peter, that God would use their lives and they became people that did extraordinary things for God. But there's this one person that I want to speak to you guys about today, and his name is Gideon. How many of you guys have heard of Gideon before? Gideon, you know, just so you guys know, we're going to be reading out of the book of Judges chapter 6. Um, we're not going to read quite yet. But I'm just going to tell you guys a little bit about what was going on with the people of Israel. The people of Israel, you know, God had given them a command. He said, listen, you guys cannot have any other gods, okay? I am your only God, and you can only worship me. But uh, the Israelites were disobedient, and they began, to be diso they began to worship other gods. And it says that the anger of God, you know, came against them. And what happened was that God gave them over to the Midianites. The Midianites, you know, every time the Israelites would plant crops, every time they would plant vegetables, every time they would plant fruits, whatever it was, what the Midianites would do was that they would come in and steal all their crops, all their vegetables, everything that they had worked for. So imagine you, how many of you guys work here? And those that don't work, what's going on, man? No wonder the tithes and offerings. No, just kidding. But imagine you working all week, and at the end of the week, you know, you don't get a paycheck. Working 40 hours, what do, they usually, what do you usually get paid, like every two weeks or something? I had a friend. This is a true story. You know, my friend of mine, he was like, oh, man, I got a job. I'm about to get paid. You know, and he was so excited. He was about to get his first paycheck. You know, he had worked two weeks, 80 hours, and he's, he got his first paycheck after two weeks of working. And when he got his first paycheck, you know, he opens it up, and he was like, what? What happened to my paycheck? It turns out that he owed, he owed child support, and his baby mama put him on child support, and he was, like, due for child support payments, and they took his whole paycheck. But imagine that. That's what happened to the Israelites. Their whole paycheck went to their baby mama, the Midianites. They stole everything. And the thing about the Midianites, see, the Midianites were nomads. Anybody know what nomads are? Nomads are people that they don't have a permanent residence. They're kind of like hippies. I don't know. They don't have hippies nowadays. But in the 70s or maybe in the 60s, you know, hippies are people that, like, they would just go to festivals and, like, live in vans. Sometimes you see these shows, like, TLC and stuff, and you see people that, like, live in these vans, and they have their whole family living in vans, and they travel from city to city. That's exactly how, how the nomads were. It's like every time they would go from place to place living in tents. And what happened was that the Israelites were more permanent residents. They had their own land. They had their own houses, their own place. And every time they would plant their vegetables, their crops, every time they had their animals, it says the Midianites would go over there, steal everything that they had, and it says they would take it from them. And it not only happened one year, but it happened throughout seven years, seven years that the Midianites were doing this to the Israelites. They kept stealing everything, their cattle, their sheep, their goats. I don't know, has anybody ever been robbed or has anybody ever been their house broken into? Vale, it was the only one? Man, I had a friend one time that um, they broke into his house. And, like, they broke into his window. They stole everything. And the only thing that they took was his PlayStation 4. 
And I'm like, oh, man, thank God they didn't take nothing else. Nah, man, my PlayStation 4. I'm like, bro, you serious? You worried about a PlayStation 4? You know, but it was like they would take everything that was valuable to the Israelites. And I want to, I want to like, until, until actually what happened was that the Israelites were like, man, we can't do this anymore. They cried out to God. And they were like, God, we need you to rescue us. God, save us from the Midianites. We cannot continue. It says that the Israelites were almost to the point of starvation. They were like almost dying of starvation because everything was taken from them. And I don't know, have you ever been in a point of desperation where you have cried out to God? Where you have said, God, I need you to save me. I need you to rescue me. God, rescue me from my mother-in-law. I'm just kidding. God, rescue me from this situation. God, rescue me. I'm in a desperate situation. I'm going to tell you guys, you know, a story, a real story that happened to me before I came to Christ. In my days where I wasn't such a Christian. You know, um, I'm from Washington, D.C. Anybody from Washington, D.C.? Okay. Anyhow, I'm from Washington, D.C. And before I came to Christ, you know, I always used to go out on the weekends and go, you know, to the clubs and stuff. And um, I remember one time my friends are like, hey, man, let's go out to Baltimore. Baltimore is like an hour away from Washington, D.C. And I was like, all right, let's go, man. Let's go see what's popping over there. We took an hour drive all the way to Baltimore. And I remember, like, everybody at the, at the club got separated. You know, everybody went their own way. And the club, you know, we were there the whole night. The club was about to close down. And I remember, like, I'm coming out once they close out. And I'm like, yo, where are all my friends at? You know, what happened to all my friends that, you know, I had come to the club with? And I was coming out, and I was like, man, where's everybody at that I came with? And I noticed that there was, like, a, a police paddy wagon. You know, the police, like, buses that they don't just take one prison, like, one person. They take, like, a bunch of, like, people that are going to jail. So guess... I, I, I pass by the paddy wagon, and I see all my friends in the paddy wagon. And I'm like, the only one that didn't get, you know, arrested and put into jail. And I'm like, oh, man. You know, and I try to be slick about it, you know, because I was a little bit, you know, under the influence of the spirit. So <laughs> I try to be slick about it, and I was like, hey, guys, I'm going to open the back door. And when I open the back door, you guys come running out, you know. And I open the back door, and I was like, oh, you guys, come on. Come on, everybody get out. Get out. And exactly, the police came after me, and they threw me on the floor. And then I was with them going to jail as well. <laughs> and the thing is that, like, thank God I didn't get charged for anything, but I had to spend the night in jail. And I, rem I, I don't know Baltimore like that, but Baltimore has some rough cities, it has some really rough cities. And I remember, like, they released me the next morning. I only had to stay one night. They released me the next morning. And when they come, they released me. I'm walking out of the jail. And I didn't know where I was at. I was like, man. I started walking down the blocks. And somehow, I ended up in this really ghetto neighborhood. Like, it was a horrible neighborhood. And I remember, like, I, I had, like, a nice jacket on that I had bought. Um, and I had some nice shoes. And I remember, like... To my corner of my eye, I see, like, this group of guys getting ready to come jump me. And I was just like, oh, my gosh. I'm about to get robbed. I'm going to get jumped. And the only two things that went through my mind was, like, 
Well, number one, Willie, get ready to run for your life because you're about to die. Number two was like, I said, God, I know I'm not right with you right now, but I need you to save me. I need you to rescue me right now, God. It wasn't too long after I made that prayer, you know, I was getting ready to run. This white guy out of nowhere, it's a true story, this white guy pulls up and he's like, hey, buddy. And I'm like, hey, man, how you doing? He's like, hey, you like Jeff Gordon? Because I had a NASCAR jacket, you know. It was like a DuPont NASCAR jacket. For those that don't know, it was like a NASCAR racer. And he was like, I love Jeff Gordon, man. What are you doing around here, buddy? This is not your neighborhood. And I was just like, I know, man. I just got out of jail, blah, blah, blah. He was like, hey, man, you need a ride somewhere? And I was like, heck, yeah. I jumped in the, I jumped in the car so quick. Right before those guys were about to come to me, I jumped in the car. The guy was like, hey, man, wherever you want to go, just tell me. You know, just give me, help me out with some gas money. I remember I gave the guy $50 just to drive me to, like, the nearest metro bus station. But I saw how God rescued me right then and there when I cried out to God. And I said, God, I need you to rescue. I'll never forget that. It's something that stays marked in my life. I'm like, even when I wasn't serving God or being in obedience with him, God rescued me that one day. And that's exactly what God did through the life of Gideon. Gideon was used by God to bring salvation to the Israelites. And I want you guys to read in Judges chapter 6. In Judges chapter 6, verse 11 through 12, it says, Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Oprah. Is it Oprah or Oprah? which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abiezer. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a winepress to hide the grain from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. It's funny because it says that the angel of the Lord came, you know, and saw Gideon, and he was like, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. And I can imagine, like, the scene, just picture the scene for a moment. You know, Gideon was like, oh, who that? I know you ain't talking to me, man. He was probably, like, scared because the thing is that Gideon, he had low self-esteem. He was scared. He was someone that didn't, like, see himself the way God saw him. But what did the angel of the Lord say to him? He said, mighty hero. He says, mighty hero. And today God is telling you, like, you are that mighty hero. Maybe you don't see yourself the way God sees you, but God is saying, look, you are that mighty hero that I want to do something extraordinary through your life. And the thing is that Gideon, he begins to start talking back to the angel. And I want you guys to go for a second to verse 14. It says, then the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But the, Lord, but the Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. The Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you are fighting against one man. God, the, the angel tells uh, Gideon, he's like, look, man. You're not going in, my, in your strength. You're going to go in my strength to rescue the people of Israel. And Gideon begins to start, like, 
doubting what God wants to do through his life. He's like, look, God, are you sure you're calling the right Gideon? I think you maybe have the wrong, the wrong name. There's another Gideon in the town. Are you sure I'm the right one you're calling? You know, I'm from the weakest clan. I'm poor. And another version says that I'm, I come from a very poor family. You know, I'm from Hialeah. I'm from Opalaka, God. Are you sure? La Ciudad del Progreso. Are you sure you want to use my life? You know, I, I barely graduated high school. How many barely graduated from high school? Raise your hands. Oh, I see you, Vale. Shout out to Vale. No, just kidding. <laughs> but that was me, man. I barely graduated from high school. Negative one point whatever, GPA. But God said, look, man, you're not going in your strength. You're going to go in my strength. In my strength, God tells him, you will rescue the Israelites. And the thing about it is that sometimes we don't see ourselves the way God sees us. We see ourselves, maybe you might not think of yourself much, but that's all that God needs. See, what God is looking for, he's looking for a heart that's humble. Say with me, a heart that's humble. God just God is not expecting you to tell him like, yeah, God, you know, I'm here. I got my degree. I got my business, God. I'm here to be used by you. No, God is looking for someone that says, God, I don't have anything to offer you. I come from the weakest. I don't even have papers, God. You know, I'm not, I don't belong in this country. I don't belong in this city. And God is saying, like, exactly. You are the person that I want to use. You are the one that I want to do something extraordinary, extraordinary through. Amen? And the thing is that, you know, I love every time uh, Pastor Julian has been preaching, he says, like, Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. It says, it's not by power nor by might, but what is it? By your spirit, saith the Lord. And this is a verse that I love. It says in, in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, it says, But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God doesn't need your power. He doesn't need your talents. He doesn't need your abilities. God doesn't need anything from you. God is almighty. And through the nothing that you have, God wants to use it to do something extraordinary. Tell the person next to you, God will use my life to do something extraordinary. I may not have nothing but God is going to use my life to do something extraordinary. And that's exactly what God told Gideon. He was like, it's not in your strength. It's not in your might. You know, you will fight in my strength, in my fight, in my, in my strength, in my, and you will fight in my strength. I kind of twisted the word there, but anyhow. Um, and the thing is that whenever God, whenever God calls you, you know, there's always a test. Whenever God wants to do something extraordinary through your life, there's always a time of testing. How many of you guys love times of testing? Yeah. Amen. Say it like you mean it. Like, man, I love times of testing. I love the desert. I love the wilderness. <laughs> but there's always a time of testing because look what God tells Gideon in Judges chapter 6, verse 25. It says, that very night the Lord said to Gideon, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one that is seven years old, pull down your father's altar to Baal and cut Baal. Sorry, thank you. Inglesim Barreras. 
and cut down the Asherah pole standing beside it. Then build an altar to the Lord your God here on the hilltop sanctuary, laying the stones carefully. Sacrifice the bull as a burnt offering on the altar, using as fuel the wood of the Asherah pole you cut down. What does God tell Gideon? He's like, okay, now I'm going to test you. I want to do something extraordinary through your life, but you have to tear down the altar that your father has. See, his, his own dad had an altar. He had like this shrine where they used to worship and sacrifice on that altar. And God tells him, the first thing I want you to do, Gideon, is I want you to tear down that altar. That was something that was very sacred to the Israelites. They used to worship at that altar. That was something that was punishable upon death. If you keep on reading, it says that the whole town came against them. You know, when I, when I first came to God, I, I used to live with my grandmother. And my grandma's like a hardcore Catholic. In the name of Jesus, she's a Christian. But at that time, you know, she like had all these like idols and like all these, um, you know, images throughout the house. I used to live in, in the house with her. And I remember, like, in the hallway, you know, there was always, like, this one little section that was full of a bunch of candles and a bunch of, like, um, like little idols and stuff like that. I don't know. Has anybody ever come from a Catholic family? And they always, like, burn the little, like, las velitas and stuff. And I remember I used to walk through that hallway, and I used to be like. <laughs> <laughs> I used to blow out all them candles, man, because, you know, I had just come out of the encounter. I was on fire for God. You know, I'm still on fire for God, but I, used to, I couldn't stand those dumb idols, man. I used to blow out all them candles, and she would go and light them up again, and I would go back and blow them out, you know. And I remember, like, she began to start wondering, like, what's going on? Like, I light my candles for my idols, and I see that they turn them off, you know. And I, I don't know, abuelita, you know, the wind, the wind blows them, you know. And... She began to notice that I was the one that was blowing out the candles, even though it was in my house. And it really bothered her. You know, it was something that was sacred to her. And I remember, like, out of nowhere, my I used to pay her rent, you know. My grandma's like, hey, you know what? It's just better if you get out the house and move out. Like, she didn't even give me a two-week notice, you know. <laughs> I was waiting for, like, my eviction notice. She's like, em you know, es mejor, mijito. It's better if you just leave the house. And I was like, from one day to the other, my grandma has a four-bedroom house, and she has an apartment in the back. And the only ones that live in the house were me and her. And I'm like, Grandma, there's no space in this house? No, 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 you know, it's just better if you leave. Because it really bothered her, you know, that I had blown out her candles, you know. And so I had to go live with my friend for a couple weeks, whatever. But now, you know, my grandma's like 90 years old, and she's losing her house in foreclosure. And she's calling me, like, if I can help her out. And I say, she'll never kick me out, Grandma. <laughs> you know, figure it out. You know, you see what happens. You know, what comes around goes around. No, I'm just kidding. I have to see if I can help her out. But, <laughs> but I still throw it in her face a little bit sometimes, you know. But that was the test. That was the test that God had given to Gideon. He was like, you need to tear down that pole, that Asherah pole. That shrine, that altar. And what did Gideon do? He went and he tore down that altar. It says that he went at nighttime. And the thing is that sometimes, you know, when God wants to do something extraordinary through your life, 
It says that the whole town, the next day, the whole town came against Gideon. The whole town came and they wanted to kill him. They were like, how can you tear down our idol? How can you tear down our altar? The thing is that sometimes when, you, when God wants to do something extraordinary through your life, your family members might not understand. You know, your friends that you work with, you know, the closest friends that might have been with you. You know, we ride or die. How many saw bad boys? We ride or die. You know, they're like, you know, us together. They might not understand what God wants to do through your life. What does it mean that Gideon had to tear down the altar? It means that if there's something in your life that is taking first place in your life, you know, and that's between you and God, that you know that God has been telling you, hey, you have to let go of this area of your life. Hey, this, this is taking first place in my life. That's the first thing that God did was like, Gideon, there's an idol, and you have to remove that idol. And today God is telling you, remove any idols. Remove anything that is keeping you from doing something extraordinary. God is saying, I wanted to use your life. I want to do something extraordinary through your life. But first, you need to remove that thing, that sin in your life that is not allowing you to be used by me. And the thing about it is that after Gideon, you know, tears down the idol, look what happens in Judges chapter 6, verse 34. It says, then the spirit of the Lord took possession of Gideon. He blew a ram's horn as a call to arms, and the men of the, and the, men of the clan of Abiezer came to him. What happened after Gideon tore down the idol and the altar? It says the spirit of God came upon him. See, if you want God to do something extraordinary through your life, you have to allow the Holy Spirit to take possession of your life. God needs to be present in every area of your life. You cannot do anything, kind of like what my wife was saying. It's like you cannot be successful unless you are in contact with the word, unless you are in contact with God. And sometimes the only time we have contact with God or the only time we have contact, you know, with God is when we come to service on Saturday. Amen. Waymaker. And everybody starts singing and you're like, man, that guy has a serious relationship with God. He's pouring out his heart to God. But maybe throughout the week, that Bible, you know, stays in the back of your seat. You know, I love what, um, who was it? I don't know if it was John Hagee or Benny Hinn through the convention. He said, whenever you see someone that has a Bible that is torn up. How many of you guys ever seen somebody that has, like, their Bible? Like, man, that Bible's been through war. He's like, whenever you see someone that has a Bible that's torn up, you know, even though their Bible's torn up, you know that their life is not torn up. You know, and the thing is that the Holy Spirit has to take possession over our lives. We have to make the Holy Spirit part of our daily walk every single day and every decision that we make. We have to make sure we consult the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, take possession of my decisions. Take possession of this situation. Holy Spirit, guide me. Show me what I need to do in this area of my life. I need to be guided by you. And that's what exactly what happened to Gideon. After he tore down the altar, it says that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God took possession over his life. And how many of you guys want to do something? something extraordinary for God. How many of you guys want to be used by God to do something extraordinary? You have to allow the Holy Spirit to take possession of your life. Tell the person next to you, allow the Holy Spirit to take possession 
of your life. You have to seek the presence of God. And to finish up, you know, I know how many of you guys might know how the story ends. It says that um, Gideon was ready to go to war. He was ready to go and fight against the Midianites. And it says that Gideon had 32,000 soldiers with him. He went out with his crew, his posse, and he was like, God, I'm ready to go fight the Midianites. Does anybody know how many Midianite soldiers there were? There was 135,000 Midianite soldiers. So think about it. 32,000 against 135,000. And God tells Gideon, he was like, Gideon, you have too many soldiers. You need to let go of some of the soldiers that you have. All of a sudden, from 32,000, he's left with 10,000 soldiers. And he's like, okay, God, we got 10,000 soldiers now. I think we're ready to go fight against, you know, the Midianites. You know, God, I can't, you know, 10,000, we only got 10,000 people with me, you know, and the Midianites are 135,000 people. And God tells him, Gideon, you still have too many soldiers. And I can picture, like, Gideon, like, yo, man, we about to get killed. Like, I know God is not telling me that we have too many soldiers. And, you know, out of the 10,000, the story goes on, but Gideon is left with 300 men. I think that's maybe where they took the, the movie, 300? Three, what did you say? 300, yeah. Thank you, Kevin. <laughs> he got left with 300 men. And now God is saying, okay, with these 300 men, now you can go fight against the Midianites. I was, I was researching, and I was like, 300 men against 135,000 men. That means for every one Israelite, they were each going to have to fight. It was like 450 men. Imagine you, yourself, having to go fight against 450 uh, individuals. Do you think you would win? Of course not. <laughs> Unless you have the Spirit of God with you. But... God tells him, with these 300 men, you're going to defeat the, Israel, the Midianites. And the story, whenever you're ready, Irlanda, you know. <laughs> so anyhow, uh, I want to get him in the spirit. <laughs> uh, give, it, give it up for our. <laughs> All right, so the thing is that, you know, Gideon is like, yo, I don't know how we're going to do this. We're going to fight against these 135,000 people. But all they had with them, it's funny, because it says all they had with them was torches, clay pots, and trumpets. That's all they had with them, man. They didn't even have a spear, no gag, nothing. They were just like, we're going to go out to a fight against 135,000 people, you know, soldiers with just torches, clay pots, and some trumpets. And this is what Gideon does. You know, Gideon was like, okay, there's 300 of us. We're just going to separate, okay? A hundred of you guys are going to go this way. You know, a hundred is going to stay with me, and a hundred of you guys are going to go that way. I think Gideon might have been Hispanic, yo, because <laughs> he says, this is all we're going to do, guys. You know, when you guys hear me, you know, when you guys hear me, all I'm going to do is I'm going to start giving you guys the key or the signal, 
And when you guys hear me, you guys are just going to start to clash all those clay pots. You guys are going to begin to start playing the trumpet, you know, and you guys are going to begin to start yelling. And that's all that Gideon's strategy was. He's like, we're just going to yell the heck and try to intimidate them with our yelling, and we're going to win the victory. But you know what God was showing me? God was showing me, like, through worship and through praise, God moves in your life to do something extraordinary. And today God is saying, like, throughout the convention, something that kept on, like, being a key thing was, like, just worship God. All you need to do is worship God. When you worship God, he's like, you don't go to him asking him to do something. You don't say, God, these are my prayer requests. You just simply worship God and you say, God, I surrender do the miracle in my life, God begins to start fighting against your enemies. He begins to start working in that situation in your life. God is saying, because you're worshiping, because worship is the only thing that touches God's heart. Um, Pastor Benny Hinn was preaching. How many of you guys have children? And I don't know, but it's something about like a child when they come up to you and they're like, Daddy, you know, the other day Lucas like randomly just comes up to me and he just like gives me a hug and I was like oh me Lucas I love you you know and sometimes I'm not gonna get emotional don't worry um sometimes like it's that that worship time that touches the heart of God it's that time of praise when you're in his spirit worshiping God and that's exactly what Gideon did he was like look guys all we have is we can only worship God when I give you guys a signal, we're going to begin to start praising and worshiping God. And it says that they, Gideon gave them the signal, and they began to start yelling. They began to start, you know, throwing the clay pots. They began to start blowing their trumpets. And it threw the Midianites into confusion. It says that the Midianites, you know, began to start killing each other. Like, oh, man, what's going on? You know, get off my back. And they thought that the Israelites had been attacking them. But they were fighting against themselves. They didn't even, the Israelites didn't even have to do anything. The Midianites slaughtered themselves. They killed each other. You know, and it says that they, 135 of them were pretty much killed. They all amongst themselves killed each other. And people began to start looking at Gideon. They were like, man, Gideon, you did something extraordinary. God used your life to do something magnificent. We were enslaved to the Midianites. We were in oppression through the Midianites. But today, God is saying, I want to use your life to do something extraordinary through your praise, through your worship. I want you guys to stand up. And we're going to finish up this time. We're going to finish up this time with a time of worship. And as you worship God, I want you guys to close your eyes. As you worship God, God is going to begin to start placing a vision in your mind of what he's going to do through your life. You might be sitting there, you know, and you're saying, but like, who am I, God? Maybe you don't think yourself, you know, you don't value yourself. Maybe you have low self-esteem. Maybe you question God, God, do I really have a purpose in my, do you really have a purpose for my life? And God is saying, I'm going to do something extraordinary through your life. I want to use your life. I have chosen your life. You're not just someone that's ordinary, 
but you will be used to do something extraordinary. And as you worship God, God is going to begin to start placing a vision in your mind of what he's going to do through your life. Maybe God is placing a vision in your mind to preach to somebody. Maybe God is showing you how your family is going to come to the feet of Jesus. Maybe God is showing you some business plan that he wants to do through your life. Maybe today God is showing you what his future holds for you. Today God is going to start showing you and showing you what what extraordinary thing God is going to do through your life. Just begin to start worshiping God and say, God, today I don't have anything to offer you but just my worship, just my praise. Today, God, I don't have nothing, Lord. I'm a nobody just like Gideon. God, are you sure you want to use my life? But today all you have is just the, the ability to worship God and say, God, here I am. Use my life, Lord. Do something extraordinary through my life. Before you go, make sure to click the follow button so you never miss what's new. We would love to connect with you. You can follow us on Instagram at G12Church and share with us how this message has impacted you. Until next time.